0: Can we just take a deep breath? I'm sure it was stressful getting here and uh, getting in here and finding a seat and probably got stuff to do still before the big day tomorrow. Um, Food to make and presents to wrap and uh, kids to wrangle and all that stuff. So let's just pause for just a minute and uh, enjoy just a moment of relaxation and prayer together. Would you pray with me? God, we are uh, most thankful For this, another opportunity to reflect on a year gone by, to give thanks for the lives you've given us and all the blessings therein. This Christmas, um, we're thankful for the birth of this baby we celebrate. And those of us who are Christians, we thank you for the birth of our Savior. And I pray for an extra portion of. Grace for those who are uh, just a little bit on the curious side and on the fence, not quite sure what they believe yet and um, might not even call themselves Christians, maybe spiritual or something else. But I pray that we would all um, have the courage in the next 25 minutes to just think a little deeper than we usually do to plunge beneath the surface of life instead of just skimming along the surface casually and to consider the real meaning of this occasion that we celebrate every year because it's real easy for us to lose sight of that. And so God, I pray that we breathe deep and just for a moment we focus on the profound meaning of this special day called Christmas. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So for the last six weeks here at The Story, we've been talking a lot about cynicism, and that's because the pastor here is a very cynical person, <laughs> that's me, and I'm, uh, I tend to be on the cynical side just by nature for some reason, on the skeptical side, um, skeptical at best, suspicious, you know, and then when, it's, when, it's, when I'm tired or when it's hard, you know, I, just, I get cynical, and I found in the past that Christmas is a, is a time of year that it's easier to feel cynical about things. And I don't know if the same is true for you, but um, I, I found several in this congregation who feel the same way. And it was especially true for me before I was a believer in Jesus when I thought that Jesus was just another good teacher and not really that special. I found myself getting really cynical at Christmas because all I saw at Christmas was the commercialization of the holiday. And all I saw was uh, Christians complaining about Walmart greeters not saying Merry Christmas. You know, like, that's all that I saw, and I just, I knew some of the history behind this December 25th holiday, and I knew that Christmas isn't the first holiday we've ever celebrated, or the only holiday we've ever celebrated as human beings on December 25th. And I just kind of, as a, semi-intellectual person situated Christmas alongside all these other ancient pagan festivals that give people an excuse to drink and party and buy gifts for each other in the middle of winter just to get through the, the doldrums of wintertime. And so before I was a really a believer, I would get really cynical at Christmas, and, and it's gotten a little bit better, but I still struggle with it, honestly. And, and a lot of it has to do with not the story of Christmas itself, or the Jesus I believe in now. A lot of it has to do with music, if I'm honest. I don't know if anyone else here struggles with Christmas songs the way that I do, but there's about five of them that if I hear them one more time, I, I might just renounce my faith again. And I, I just can't even deal with them anymore. Every store, every elevator, every radio station has these same five songs playing on a loop on a never-ending loop. And what I discovered as I sat down and thought about these songs is that all five of them make me sin in a completely different way. (laughs) Like, I'll give you a few examples. I'm not going to play all five, but I'll give you a few examples, a few clips of the songs I'm talking about. There's this one song in particular that makes anger well up inside of me. Anger's a sin, and this song makes me angry. Here it is. why doesn't he just let her leave? (laughs) She wants to go home to her mom and her dad. She's young. Like, let her go home, man. Like, stop with the excuses. Don't you know what year it is? Like, you heard the hashtag MeToo stuff and all that. Like, you got to let her go, you know, like, just giving her all these reasons to stay. She doesn't want to stay, you know, learn how to spell consent. Like, there's a line there. There's just, For some reason, anger wells up inside of me with that song, and it doesn't end there. There's also, you know, the most commonly addressed sin in the Bible isn't anger, it's fear. And there's this one song that every time I hear it, it's usually when I'm shopping. I I don't know why why Target and all these stores insist on playing this song as I'm trying to figure out what stuff I'm forgetting to buy. But this just amps up the fear and anxiety within me. Tell me if your experience has been the same with this song. Okay, that's enough. Stop it, stop it. All right, that's enough. I cannot deal with that song. Anybody else's blood pressure go up? Some people are like, "I love that song, Eric. I just, I can't believe you don't." No, that song is horrible. Who let it into Christmas? Like that has nothing to do with peace and comfort of Christmas. It's just a scary song, and it makes me anxious. So, then there's this third example I'll share with you. Uh, I'm not sure what. Sin, this song makes me feel, but I'm pretty sure I'm not supposed to feel it at Christmas. Here it is. Yeah, I know, I know guys. I don't feel holy right now, do y'all? I don't feel like I should be in church. So, and I could go on and name a few more, but these songs, they just exacerbate some negative feelings about Christmas inside of me. And, and I, I know I'm, I know I'm not alone here. At, at Christmas time is the perfect time for people who are prone to cynicism to, to feel cynical. And I think what it is at the heart of it, it's not about fear or anger or whatever Ariana Grande makes us feel when she sings that song. <laughs> uh, I think it's, I think it's the fact that those songs have nothing whatsoever to do with Christmas. Like those songs add to our feeling that the Christmas holiday is somehow plastic and pretend and not really valid because it's so hyper-commercialized and it's so disconnected from the origin of what it's supposed to be. So we're buying gifts, we're spending billions of dollars, we're told that there's a certain way to do Christmas and it has nothing to do with this poor Jewish baby that we're supposed to be celebrating. And it kind of takes me back to, to some of the things I learned about the festivals they used to have on December 25th before Christmas even became a thing. You know, like the first Christians didn't really celebrate Christmas. It didn't happen until the 4th century. And December 25th was already taken. It was taken by the Scandinavian pagans and their Yule festival. And it was taken by the Roman pagans and their, uh, their, their festival for ne- Neptune, uh, the god Neptune. And, and there were already festivals happening, and they were really worldly carnal, uh, savage kind of festivals, and then Christmas kind of just borrows December the 25th, and it just feels like there's something not right about these celebrations of Christmas. So, you can call me crotchety and old and the guy, get off my long guy, but I I did turn 40 this year, so I guess it applies, but but you can keep your, your Santa baby and your Santa tell me and your Santa's Coming to Town, which is the creepiest song in the Christmas loop, by the way. Uh, Just read the lyrics. But instead of Michael Jackson's cute five-year-old voice, read it with a creepy voice. And you'll see what I mean. It's really a scary song. You can keep all of it. Keep, you know, I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus, which is weird, in its own way. And and just give me, give me what child is this. Like the song my, my daughter just sang. Like, give me what child is this. Because... There, I think, is where we begin to find the authentic center of what Christmas is meant to be. What child is this? I love this. I love this hymn. I always have. I love it as an adult because I'm a father and I've gotten to see this unique bond between my wife, who is a wonderful mother, and and her babies. I love it as an adult. I loved it as a kid. I loved it as a kid for different reasons. Because as a kid, what child is this? was the only song that made it permissible to say ass in church. So I would sing it with all my heart. Why lies he in such mean estate? Where are oxen? Never mind. So don't say it out loud, but you know what I'm saying. I love that when I was a kid and I've always loved this song, but I think I think what's given this song such a shelf life is that it asks this very basic question. What child is this? The story behind that song actually goes back quite some time. It goes back over 500 years to the time of uh, King Henry VIII, who was not a very savory character. Uh, If you don't know who I'm talking about, I recommend the documentary The Tudors on Netflix. It's not a documentary. Just kidding. (laughs) It's a really terrible show. Henry VIII, a terrible guy. And he is said to have written the original tune of what child is this? Not the words, but the tune. It was a song called Greensleeves. And the rumor was, Henry VIII wrote Greensleeves about his then-mistress, soon-to-be-wife, soon-to-be-beheaded ex-wife, uh, Anne Boleyn. And that green, the reason he called Anne Boleyn Greensleeves is because her sleeves would get green from rolling around in the grass. I'll let you just do with that what you want. But that's, that's the story behind Greensleeves. And Greensleeves became the most popular bar song, drinking song, in England for over 200 years. Greensleeves was sung throughout taverns and bars as men and women drank and reveled together. Now, fast forward a little bit to 1865 when an insurance salesman named William Chatterton Dix sat behind his desk and felt a cold coming on. But it was more than a cold. William Chatterton Dix was about to catch his death. It was something, maybe the flu or something, but it took him to his deathbed, and uh, he had to leave his insurance uh, business for a while. For months, he was laid up in bed rest, alone, and he had to sit there and lay there and think about what a failure he had been, because his life, William Chatterton Dix's life, had not turned out the way it was supposed to, and tell me if this has ever resonated with you and you felt familiar with what I'm about to tell you about William Chatterton Dix. He had high hopes for his life. Others in his life had high expectations of him. His father was a published and renowned author. His most famous book was on the great British poet Chatterton, which is why he named his son William Chatterton Dix. And every since he was a little boy, his father told him he's going to be a great poet like Chatterton. And he taught him how to write. And he spent his whole youth and teenage years writing. And expecting to become this great poet, he even majored in poetry in college, which I don't recommend for anyone, but he majored in poetry and dreamed of becoming a great poet like William Chatterton, did, like Chatterton had been. He was named after him, aspired to become just like him. But William never became great at poetry. He became, like many poetry majors before him an insurance salesman. <laughs> and so, uh, sorry. Anyway, that's mean. Uh, but there's nothing spectacular about insurance sales, is there? It's like being in oil and gas or medical sales. You know, it's just like being in a a regular job. And there's always something a little bit sad about somebody who majors in one thing and then spends their life making money doing something completely different. I ran into a Spanish literature major the other day, who's a landman, and I—he's I, doing great. He's fine, like he's got a good family, good income. But something in my heart broke for him. Like, just Spanish literature is so romantic, and you turn out to be a landman. You know, there's a little bit of heartache in that, and he felt it too. It wasn't just me judging him. I mean, it was a little bit of that. But, but, in William's case, it was even deeper because it was connected to his father's expectations of him. And so as he laid in that bed, all he could do was think miserable thoughts about what a disappointment he was and how he would never be the great poet that he wanted to be. He even got so depressed that his family put him on suicide watch. And while he was on suicide watch, laid up in that bed alone, somebody handed him a Bible and he read the New Testament. And this image from the New Testament stood out to him. He has a, he had a, Curious and creative mind, remember. And the image of Mary and the baby Jesus, after Jesus was born, stood out to him. He saw in that moment such tenderness and fragility that his curiosity was piqued. And so in one writing session, in 20 minutes' time, he wrote every verse to What Child is This? Not as a song, but as a poem. And he he wrote it as a poem, and and it took off. And it was read across America in churches, in liturgies. It was read, uh, in, it was published in newspapers and magazines, secular and spiritual alike. It was everywhere. But it wasn't until the 1870s, the next decade, when someone sitting in some bar somewhere in England figured out that the words of What Child Is This fit perfectly to the tune of Sleeves," And they started singing it in that bar, and people haven't stopped singing it since. In bars maybe, but especially in churches. Here we are. It's weird 150 years later that us and Christians and churches all across the world and just about every language gather in rooms like this or big steeple churches or in tents in some parts of the world and sing these words written by this no-good insurance salesman whose father was disappointed in him, written to the tune, put to the tune of King Henry VIII's green sleeves about his mistress. It's a weird story. And if you think about it, it perfectly represents Christmas in that Christmas is a weird story too. And here, I just want to talk to those who are unconvinced about Jesus for just a moment. If you'll just, if somebody dragged you here or you just... You came here so they'll let you open your presents later or like whatever motivation you had to come here. If you'll just humor me for just a moment because you might doubt the veracity of the Christian story, okay? I I understand that's normal. But the question posed by Chatterton Dix in this song, What Child Is This?, is the most important question in the history of the world. And I think it begs an answer. Your answer doesn't have to be, He's the Lord and Savior, He's God in the flesh, but it begs some kind of answer. And my hunch is, my experience has been, most people who say this child isn't who Christians say he is say that because of the Christians who say he is, and not because of the actual baby, right? So you've been around Christians who did not know how to behave, they weren't polite, they were rude. They were selfish, they were hateful, they were exclusive, whatever. And I understand that. Christians often do not know how to behave. Christians can be awful just like anybody else. But the question isn't what religion is this or what people are these. The question is what child is this. And regardless of the experiences you may have had with rude or selfish or hateful Christians, I think the question itself still bears repeating and answering. Who do you believe this child to be? Now, even if you're skeptical, I think it helps. I think it helps to just be honest here about the weirdness of this day. It's weird that we're here worshiping a random Jewish baby born 2,000 years ago. That's just a weird reality, regardless of how skeptical or you are. Like, that's a weird deal. It's not just us. People of every race, every tribe, every nation, speaking every language, gather today or tomorrow and worship this Jewish baby born to a teenage mother in scandal, running for their lives, and we're here worshiping this baby. That's weird that's a very weird reality. And, and so, and, and the fact is, it gets even weirder when you realize that there are passages of Scripture, and I understand this feels a little bit like circular logic if you don't buy the Bible at all, and this is me saying the Bible says it's true because the Bible says, like, I understand, I understand. But listen, there are passages pointing directly to this baby that was born that were written 600 years before his birth, and it foretold that we would worship him, for thousands of years after. And I'm just saying that's weird. That's weird, right? And it's, it, the, the whole thing is weird, that the shepherds came to worship him in this spot in Bethlehem. And from day one, ever since the shepherds worshipped him there, people have been paying homage to him there ever since. In the same spot, as early as the mid-first century, people were worshipping this baby there and no one has stopped. If you go there right now, same spot, there's a line around the building, and you have to wait for hours to get in there to touch the rock where Mary gave birth to this baby, which is weird. Who wants to touch a rock where a woman gave birth? But anyway, people do it every day, and it's it seems legit. Historically, it seems legit. The only reason this holy site wasn't destroyed is because they built a church on top of it. I know every other church during the crusades in the holy land, every other church was destroyed. This one, the church of the nativity, was not. And it was not destroyed because there was an image on the outside of this, an engraved image in stone of the wise men coming from the east to worship this Jewish baby. And when the Muslim troops came to destroy all the churches in the holy land, they saw People, three men, riding camels that look like them. And they said, we're not going to destroy this place. They look like us. Maybe this is our place. And maybe it was. Because maybe this baby came not just for Jews or for Christians or for any particular religious group. Maybe this baby came to transcend all the lines we've drawn and to make God's true nature known. Listen, listen. All I'm asking is that you honestly wrestle with the question, what child is this, and that you consider how weird it is that we're here worshiping this baby? How weird it is that we have multiple eyewitness reports of biographies written. <laughs> Nobody wrote books. Nobody wrote biographies in the first century. We've got four about this Jewish baby. It's a weird reality. So I'm just asking that in spite of your re- maybe negative experiences with Christians that you ask yourself, who is this kid? What child is this? I think we've got several options before us. You can, you can reject him, and you can come up with many logical or religious or intellectual reasons to reject him. And if you reject him, listen, if you reject him outright, I respect that. I respect that, because it's rare that I come across somebody that just outright rejects Jesus, on some moral or logical grounds. If you do that, I respect it. Let's get coffee and talk about it because I find you fascinating. Really, I mean that truly. Obviously, I hope that's not your, <laughs> the outcome. I'm not rooting for that. I'm just saying I'll respect you if you do. I hope that considering what Christmas really is and who this child really was, I hope you come to a different conclusion and that, that you follow him. You make him the center of your life. You explore the truth for yourself. What I can't abide is this. And this is for Christians and non-Christians alike. I can't abide one more Christmas where we coast casually through the holiday and we act like it's just a secular celebration and we sing our Baby It's Cold Outsides and our, and our Santa Babies and our weird Trans-Siberian Orchestra stress fest and all, this, all the stuff we do and, and we just casually stroll through the season. And that to me is, for me, unacceptable. I pray that you give it more thought than that and you don't choose to be lazy. I, I know that what you've probably gotten used to is, is Christians getting upset about stores and places that don't say Merry Christmas. I'm not going to shop here if you don't say Merry Christmas to me. I'm actually saying the opposite. I'm saying if Jesus isn't your everything, then it's cool to just call this day something else, like call it your winter party or something, like like because I want those who use the word Christmas to mean it because Jesus, this baby, this child is either everything or he's nothing. It's either like the greatest hoax the world has ever seen or this baby, Jesus, came, to reveal something to you about the God who made you. And if any part of you believes that's possible, given the trajectory of the last 2,000 years, if any part of you believes that it's true, I ask you to consider what God coming to earth in the form of a baby who grew to be the kindest, gentlest, most loving, most forgiving, most sacrificial, most inclusive, most powerfully gifted teacher the world has ever seen. What does this tell you then about the nature of God and who God is? Some of you have heard that the God of Christianity is harsh, bloodthirsty, judgmental. He can't wait to send most people to hell. He revels the thought of that. He loves it. Listen, if this baby represents the God of Christianity, the one true God of Christmas, then we all have to rethink that image of God and who he really is. So I think this song, What Child Is This? The best possible Christmas song we could ever sing, especially given how it came about. I think a song written not by the hands of some holy man behind some curtain, not by some great world-renowned poet, but by some insurance salesman with a poetry degree whose father thinks he's a failure and put to the tune of some corrupt king about some woman who rolled around in the grass. All of that is perfect. The fact that it was birthed in bars where people are, all of it is perfect because this embodies who Jesus was and what this gospel really is he goes where the people are he meets us in our corruption he meets us in our shame and our failures if you've ever felt like my life just hasn't turned out the way I thought it would if you've ever felt like I never imagined being this ordinary or feeling like a failure if you've ever thought your life isn't what you hoped it would be you were the reason Jesus came he came for you in the state you're in right now. And I think a song like What Child Is This shows us that no matter how ordinary your life feels, no matter how much you despise the person you've become at times, as we all do, I'm telling you, Christmas means he enters in to our despair and to our imperfection, and he uses us. He will use you even in your ordinariness in the everyday of your life. Y'all, there's nothing more important to me than skeptics and non-religious people giving Jesus a second look, giving him an honest chance, free from religion and your experiences with Christians. And if any part of you sits here today and thinks, maybe, maybe I have not given God the benefit of the doubt. Maybe I haven't really given Jesus a chance. Maybe I've been running. Maybe I've chosen to have myself as my God because it's easier sometimes to do it that way. If you're tired of running, if you want to make this God, Jesus, the center of your life, It's really easy to start. You don't have to join a church. You don't have to come back here next Sunday and every Sunday after that. If you do, we'd love to see you, but it's really about your heart. And it could be about the prayer. I'm about to pray right now. And if you're on the fence this Christmas, this is the perfect moment to let God enter your ordinary broken life and lead you toward the purpose for which He made you. If that describes where you're at, I invite you to say the prayer that I'm about to say. I'll say a line and I'll pause for you to say it. You don't have to say it out loud. I know it's embarrassing. Say it to yourself. Say it to God in your heart. Let's pray together. God, I have doubted you. I've judged you based on the behavior of your followers. I've run from you. And I'm tired of running. I'm ready this Christmas to seek you, to know you, and to love you. Give me courage, Lord, to seek the purpose for which you made me. In Jesus' name, amen.